episode. Welcome to episode 901 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Tuesday, March 9th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, and I'm joined this morning by Justin Mason. Justin, good morning, sir. Good morning. How you doing? I'm quite well. I'm quite well, man. I got uh, got two drafts going on right now, TGFBI, mm-hmm. you know, uh, hitting those hitting those mid-rounds. They were basically just making, you know, one, one turn a day for me, oh. uh, usually at night, and it's fine. You know, I kind of, I kind of gotten used to the cadence of uh, around nine thirty, ten o'clock is when my pick comes up. I make my two picks, and that's fine. I, I don't, I don't really care. And and then Raz Slam got started yesterday, and I'm about to make my eighth pick. So, got those two drafts going. Baseball on the iPad and computer most of the day with spring training stuff. Just finished a giant piece that's going to be up. By the time people hear this on closer tiers, uh, six thousand words, and uh, yeah, things are, things are cooking, man. It's 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 March after all. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. Just uh, I'm about to finish my TGFBI draft. We're about to head into the last round, so my hope is that by the end of the day, uh, our league will be wrapped up, or at least my pick will be wrapped up. We've been moving a little bit faster than you guys, uh, in spite of a few really really slow people um, i don't think we're the slowest but yeah we're kind of we're kind of moving at a leisurely pace yeah uh and then yeah we're i'm about to make my sixth round pick in rats six and seven because i'm drafted from the two holes so uh, about to make my sixth and seventh round picks there uh so that'll be uh that's fun i, I love the cut so that, line format yeah so. that's that's best ball cut line that's completely yeah. different from more or less anything else so Let's just give a, a super quick rundown of, of what you're what you're working with there, because that team construction might jump out to folks as you know they they might be able to tell a little bit of the difference right off the top once you uh, let us know who you've got. Yeah, I took uh, Juan Soto in the two hole, um, mm-hmm. and then Xander Bogarts uh, in the second round, wrapped around with JT Romuto at the beginning of the third round, and this is a twelve team league. So yep. Uh, 12 team then, league. You went catcher early. No pitcher yet. Keep that in mind. Yeah, and then I went pitcher, pitcher in the four five with uh, Kershaw and Lance Lynn. Uh, I mean, the main pitching drops. Yeah, the main difference in like this league versus, um, you know, the other leagues we typically talk about is it is best ball. Um, it's also a points format, yes. um, and it really, really pushes up hitting. It's it's a points yes. format that's supposed to prior to make it more like roto. I don't know that it does, but one of the things you notice is it really devalues, you know, a lot of the pitching pool. Um, well, because you know, with best ball, you, you don't have to worry about the volatility mm-hmm. of pitchers, and so it's easier to kind of take shots and and volume it, and just you know, hey, I'm gonna ha- I'm have all these guys. Um, it's a it's a 42 round draft. I've got all these pitchers. I'm gonna figure out, uh, you know, the the hitting the pitching is gonna kind of figure itself out with the best ball format. Now, obviously, you still have to be smart. You still have to get some pitchers. You're not trying to use, you know, your last 20 picks on pitching and that's it. But it does make it easier to to be a little bit more risk heavy and and take shots with your pitching as opposed to stacking up front the way we do in a lot of NFBC formats these days. And just formats in general where everyone's trying to get at least one pitcher by the third round, two by the fifth round type of deal. Yeah, and it also really, really um, pushes up the top tier of catchers. Yes. Um, And I think this is, you know, I got a little bit of pushback for taking Real Muto, uh, where I did because, you know, I mean, it was the second pick of the third round in a 12 team league. So it's at 26. Um, How's this for you? Same, same spot that you have took him in the second round. I would have taken he, him in the second round, but I was pretty sure he would make it back around to me. And he won our league last year. I actually happened to be in, in my league with Brant Chesser again mm-hmm. and he won. And obviously that doesn't make him an end all be all God, but you know, it's nice to see somebody kind of see what they're doing. Somebody who's won the format and he took a catcher there and in virtually the same spot you did. Um, and I, I like, I'm about to take a catcher right now. I'm actually about to jump. Uh, well, actually, I'll, I'll ask your opinion. You like Grandal or Contreras better? Um, 
for me in this format, I kind of like Grandal's walk of like his almost you know points can almost be like an OBP league because you get points for those walks. Yeah, I mean it's whoever you project to have. Actually, wait. No, we don't. Never mind. I, I, I whoever you project to have more at bats, <laughs> like it's just it's a volume game. Yeah, um, yeah, but the walks don't count, so that's I was yeah, incorrect yeah. there. Um, I have Grandal. Um, worth more. Darno's going higher by ADP, but I don't agree with that. I, I'm on. I'm I have, on. I've in. I've Darno in uh, Grand Doll, or sorry, Gar, uh, Darno and Contreras. Um, that uh, I'm priced out exactly the same. Um, okay. And I have Grand Doll right there with them. They're both about sixteen, or all three are about sixteen dollar players. Yeah, uh, they're they're actually all per, pretty close in ADP and like a tight eight pick cluster here, but it goes. It goes Darno, Contreras, Grandal. I'm not afraid to take the lowest of the three. I'm not like, oh gosh, ADP says this. I got, I got to do it. I think I'm just going to take Grandal. I really like him. That's a great lineup. Not that the Cubs lineup or Braves lineup are bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like Grandal. For instance, I mean, he... like the way like the point system plays out, um, uh, Real Muto is a top ten-ish hitter in this format. Yeah, he's, so, he's filthy. He was the 18th hitter and I think the 23rd overall player in this format last year in a down season. I was about to uh, yeah, you, you threw on the uh, yeah. in a down season there. So. so, I mean, it's it's it definitely pushes up. If you're going to play cut line, cut line's a fantastic format. Um, the thing that sucks about it is almost the, the, the ROI, the return on investment sucks um, because only one spot gets paid out in your mm-hmm. league and everything. It only gets paid out you know, it's a hundred fifty dollar league. It only gets paid out two fifty for first place in your league because everything goes into the overall. Yeah, um, thankfully with Raz Slam, it's free. Yeah, but uh, they do have now best ball leagues, the best ball tens um, over on uh, NFBC, where you can do it's like a, either fifty fifty or top three are paid out, and it's the same format. It's a really good fun format. It uh, is highly recommend using our auction calculator on Fangraphs. Uh, to help you with evaluations, um, because that's huge. But yeah, catcher gets pushed way up. Like I'm, I've already got a catcher, and I'm probably going to take Will Smith if he makes it to me with this next pick. Yeah, I'm taking Grandal. I don't think, I mean, if one of Contreras and Darno made it back, I would definitely take them. But otherwise, I'll I'll look at uh, I'll look at somebody in that kind of next tier there. Maybe like a couple rounds, I'll get Gary Sanchez. I wouldn't be averse to that. Well, you want to be careful there because uh, of the Nola. strikeouts. That's true. Actually, I would have two guys that Grandal and Sanchez can be kind of similar. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe it would be Austin Nola. Anyway, I'm taking Grandal. Here we go. I have another interesting topic I want to talk about. Can you believe that? I, that I want to talk about interesting things on the I, pod today? I don't believe you ever want to talk about interesting things. I know it seems wild, but I do. I want to talk about a little tweet. A little tweet, uh, what, what's it called? A little thread that you guys were in on yesterday that mm-hmm. really brought up an interesting topic. And it was about these non-contact leaders. And I put leader. Since I said non-contact I guess they can be called leaders, but it is a bad, it's a bad thing, basically. So it started with kind of a funny tweet that Smada says, once you type Dobby Ballback, you can't untype it. Just like laughing at the spoonerism of it. And some spoonerisms are good. And I got to say, spoonerisms have come down a little bit in, in popularity. They're not as annoying anymore. So I, I found this funny. For a while there, they're driving me nuts. Everyone was doing them. A lot of people were doing them wrong. Maybe wanted to punch myself in the throat. You'd think I'd want to punch the other people in the throat, but I wanted to punch myself in the throat because of it. By the way, you're still sharing your screen on oh. uh, on on Skype. You That's fine if you see, want you to. You don't want to see my Raz Slam draft? Yeah, I don't, I don't mind. I don't mind seeing that. I'm just letting you know. Uh, but anyway, then MLB Moving Averages put out a ex-Wobacon list. Now, if that's not confusing enough... Um, I, th- listen, it's a cool list because like all the names that are on it, but starts to get really deep on like you know the the basically the the filters that that you're that you're doing here you're doing uh not only uh woba on contact but it's the expected woba on contact and bobby dalbeck happened to be the top of that chart well 
when you almost make no contact, it's nice to have uh, to have your the, the contact that you are making go and be pretty powerful and expect and have expected quality results because then you quote tweeted that you said the only problem is here's the other thing he leads it and he literally led in lowest contact in other words had the worst mm-hmm. contact rate by a decent little margin too a couple points uh, over Gregory Polanco fifty six point five. To 59 there. I said, we'll call 57. Sorry, I hate when people do decimals. I hate it. Uh, 57 to 59 there. So he had a two point lead, quote unquote, over Polanco. Like, that's so bad. And then somebody pointed out about how, you know, there's some big names on that list. Um, it was Scott Jenstead. He's like, wow, couple, uh, mm-hmm. couple of second, third rounders on there. And you look and you see, you see Luis Robert, Alberto Mondesi, Keston Hira. Those are some names, and all you did was a top ten of of worst yeah. contact, and yeah, that's in the shortened season, but that's pretty alarming. So I kind of want to get into it a little bit here with a few of these guys before we get into the rest of our news and notes. Start with Dahlbeck. He he's kind of apart from these other guys for sure. He's not being drafted anywhere near them, but he's angling for a job. He's a prospect of note, and you know, with some playing time, there could be some intrigue based on the fact that he he did have some good power there at least when he did make contact. Do you have any uh, Do you have any interest in rostering Bobby Dahlbeck based on the, the contact that he did have, or is the contact issue too much for you? Do you think he can improve a forty two percent strikeout rate? A lot of questions there. The bottom line is, how do you feel about Bobby Dahlbeck going into twenty twenty one? I'm fine with the price. I mean, he's what Miguel Sano light, right? So yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's you know, it's all about your team construct. If you can. Uh, afford the batting average hit because he could easily hit 225 uh, or, I mean, even worse. I mean, the bat X hasn't projected it 218. Like, so, I mean, you just have to be able to account for that. And maybe it's one of those things where you're punting batting average and you go, okay, I'll take the shot on Dahlbeck because if he does run hot and he is running absolutely on fire during spring training right now, um, so I'm sure his price will continue to rise. Yeah. Uh, you know, if he if he can just get lucky in the BABIP department and, you know, uh, and pop a 250, like you're talking about a guy who could pen, potentially hit 40 home runs. Mm-hmm. Um, so the hard part is you, it, it only works in certain drafts, right? You just can't, I don't want him in an overall based contest. So anything on NFBC, I don't want him on my team because, uh, well, m- most things there are, there are standalone things. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, but your point, your point's well taken. Uh, you know, I mean, he does. He he has shown at times in the minor leagues the ability to walk at a double digit rate, uh, which is great. So on base percentage, he gets a, a a good bump in the same way that like Joey Gallo does. Uh, but he also has shown like you know briefer stretches where he doesn't walk. Um, it's. It's not a profile I'm targeting, but it could make sense in a lot of uh, in a lot of situations. And I do think his playing time is fairly safe. Boston isn't trying well, to win. It goes with another note, and I'll just I'll just kind of move it up here, uh, right next to Bobby Dahlbeck, that Michael Chavis could start in the minors. Yeah, I think he will, and that would be kind of some direct competition for him. And they're kind of similar, and it looks like maybe. Not that Chavis is done and and you know he can't improve, but they've kind of already seen these these contact issues flesh out with Chavis in the form of 540 plate appearances with the 240, 304, 424 line, and they're like, well, I guess you know Dahlbeck could do the same, but let's at least give him a shot and let Chavis kind of uh, maybe figure some more things out in in AAA there, and then we can bring him back up uh, because one of the issues that he has with his big strikeout rate, this is Chavis now, is that he doesn't really have any walks to go with it. At least while Dahlbeck was striking out 42% of the time, he had an 11% walk rate. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, that that's a little something to at least kind of, uh, you know, curb it a little bit. Meanwhile, Chavis has a 33% strikeout rate in his major league career with a 7% walk rate. So that that's pretty tough there. So Dahlbeck should be playing. There is room for both, though, I really think, because Chavis can play different positions and move all over, but the Enrique Hernandez and that, and then what really did it, what really put Seamus on the track for triple a was the French Cordero trade. 
Well, and they signed um, Danny Santana this week. Oh, you know that's that's just another thing mucking it up. You're right, so, and and Marwin Gonzalez. Yeah, so, I mean they've got you know, all these guys that can play all these different positions now, so it makes Chavis less valuable because he, you know part of his value was oh he can play you know he may not play well defensively in a bunch of different spots, but he can play in a bunch of different spots. Yeah, exactly. And Dahlbeck just become redundant at this mm-hmm. point, and Dahlbeck does have the better. Um, the better scouting profile by a little bit. And it's really that, that, that raw power that kind of drives it at, at like a 70 raw. Um, and if he can, he has the better eyes. So I think there's small differences, but they just become so redundant that they're going to take the guy that they haven't really seen yet. Right. Kind of, mm-hmm. um, you know, so they can wish cast a little bit on Dahlbeck versus what Chavis has already done. So are you all concerned right. at all about Franchi Cordero? Cause isn't he still out? Oh yeah. No, I'm not. Like the thing of it is the, the price is still right to, to be interested if you are, but I've, I, I kind of, I, I was in on the hype machine for a little bit, but I've kind of lost the hype of like, uh, that, that a lot of fantasy folks had because yes, he does have some great raw skills, but he just doesn't really, uh, have a great idea at the plate there with his contact either. He's a 35% strikeout guy so far. And I do wonder that even if he were playing, you think Boston would let him run? Uh, I think they might let him run. My biggest concern is like he still hasn't passed the COVID protocols yet. Yeah, it's been, and he was like one of the first ones, right? Yeah, it's it's seeming like a while. I know they they said if he tests negative today, then he can rejoin the team. But you kind of wonder if this is a guy who struggled with it physically more than uh, others. Because he's yeah. been out for so long, and then the signing of Danny Santana makes me wonder, who are they expecting? Maybe Cordero won't be ready to start the year. Exactly. In fact, that's the latest note that uh, Alex Cora says that he might not be French Cordero might not be ready to yeah. start the season. So he, he's and like so, off my draft list now. Yeah, I, I, you know, he was somebody that's a spec that I wouldn't be averse to taking. There, there are definitely scenarios where I would put him on my reserve, but I, I used to kind of have a little star next to him. I, I don't have that star so much anymore. I, I'm kind of like, eh, if he's there, I might I might get him. But I, I'm not really seeking him out right now anymore. Uh, but anyway, that's the Boston situation. I want to get into the other three guys real quick that, that were on that leaderboard that you had. And again, it's a leaderboard you do not want to be a part of. It's worst contact. And Luis Robert, you mentioned him specifically, that that's why you're not taking him. Yeah, I mean, he went at the tur- the two three turn in the Friends Fantasy Benefits uh, main event qualifier league that we did last year or la- last night, um, mm-hmm. and I just can't pay the price on that. He he led Major League Baseball in swinging strike percentage from a hitter, um, and like I understand the tools are just off, you know, off the you know. <laughs> They're yeah, amazing. one, one like, thing they, I. Like he, One thing I mentioned to Scott was, like, those guys, they all run, and that's what saves them mm-hmm. because they have that contact issue, but they have power and speed, and that's why people still like them. But it was alarming to see those guys on that list. If, if he's striking out at the kind of rate that his underlying skills says he could, um, like, there's no way he's batting in the tool. And I know, like, people are like, oh, he's batting in the tool in spring training. Like, yeah, he also, like... He struck out 32% of the time last year, and the skills were actually worse than that. So, like, like if he's striking out a 35% clip, um, there's no way he can bat, like, in the top half of that lineup. I just don't I see think the... five, five or six would, would yeah, fit. Like, I would Moncada would get an opportunity. Six or seven. Yeah, um, I think Moncada would get an opportunity. I think Eaton would actually go up. Yeah, near the top as well because he's an on-base guy. And in right fact, now we have he we have yeah. projected to hit seventh, and I think that is the spot for him until he can quiet down some of that swing and miss. Not, I mean, he's super young, he's super talented, he definitely can, and so that's why, like, like if he falls outside of the third round, I'll take the gamble there. But he, he just hasn't never been. is. Yeah, he, no. yeah, he, uh, he just never is. Luis Robert still is driving so much love. And like I get it, you know, like I said, the power and speed is what is what keeps those guys uh, intriguing. And and Mondesi was another one who we've kind of talked about to death, so we don't really need to get into him. But the other one for me, so you know, on on that list there, Luis Robert was someone you mentioned. For me, it was Hira, Keston Hira, because Mondesi and Robert, they have a chance to like be high impact steals guys. 
I don't really see the same thing with here. So I'm wondering why his price doesn't come down at all. It seems like, you know, even with some, even with the season that he had last year, everyone's just fine taking him. And I don't, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't understand why there's like no real discount. He's going around pick 69, which is not that nice to me. <laughs> and he was a bit higher last year. He's down from last year, but not commensurate with, with the struggles that he had. He hit 212. He led the National League in strikeouts. He was three for five on the bases. Like, I, I don't. I want to like him. I just can't pay that price. I was really hoping for a, uh, you know, a, a discount here. Not, not that he was going to go. Again, I can't be uh, saying out of one side of my mouth, let's not take 2022 seriously, and then on the other side saying. You know, drop Keston here to pick 150. But the problem the, the, for me is that these these issues were present in 2019, but they came to the fore in 2020 because he didn't have a 402 Babbitt to cover it. Mm-hmm. And that that like that was the thing that bothered me about his 2020 price was like, hey guys, are we just ignoring the fact that he needed a 402 Babbitt to cover his 31% strikeout rate? Like, what are we doing here? And then all of a sudden, hey. It, you know, he has a more pedestrian 273 Babbitt, and I think he can be higher than that somewhere in the low 300s. So, so you know, balance it out, give him like the 266 average that he has for his career now. But 266, 32, 12 is what he has for his full career. If he does that, he'll earn he'll earn his price uh, with 81 runs and ribbies. I'm worried about the 12, and I'm worried about the 266 because he's not a very efficient runner. So while Milwaukee has been known to run, they didn't as much last year, but in previous years, he was never like a burner in the minors. I just worry about Keston here. I think the power's legit. He's a quality player, but I think the batting average can be really low again. And if he's not, if he's just giving you low double digit steals, is he really worth a top 70 pick? I don't know that he is. And I don't think I would take him in the top 70. The problem is the depth at the top of second base. Like a lot of people have said second base, you know, sucks. Um, it, yeah, it, it does in a way, but not in the way that I think most people frame it as like, I think it's a pretty deep position in general. It is, um, it is. but there is a huge drop off from, I think the top four guys, ADP says the top three guys, ADP says Albies, LeMayhew, Whit Merrifield. And then there's a yeah. huge drop off. I think yeah, Brandon I don't put Lau, in there. Um, oh, okay. That's fine. I thought you were going to say you put Bijan. No, yeah. I'm cool with you saying Lau belongs because uh, I love Brandon Lau. And not that he necessarily belongs in the top 40 picks, but I do believe he is almost a tier uh, to himself, like a second tier by himself. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's why I have him as my fourth second baseman. But then it's kind of like everybody has huge warts. You know, we just talked about sure. Jason Heroes, Biggio, like where does he hit in that lineup? Uh, Max Muncy, can he rebound? Jose Altuve, will they let him use the buzzer thing again? Um, Mike Moustakis. Shut can't... up, <laughs> Like, I just went straight past that. Um, yeah, like, I just, like, matter of fact. <laughs> yeah, Mike Moustakis, uh, you know, can he bounce back? Kettle Marte, is he healthy? Can he bounce back? Is Dylan Moore legit? Like, they're, like, and you can argue whether or not you believe. Yeah, you, you know, can find some favorites in there. You know, sure, we're, we're Nick Solak guys. You, I don't think Edmund. you can argue that none of them or that any of them don't have warts. Sure, um, sure. And so that's why I think Kesson here gets pushed up. He's going to add first base eligibility in season. He has shown power and speed. I am not going to end up with Kesson here on no, probably no any team. Because um, Lau's cheaper. So I just yeah. take Lau, second and, and base that, outfield. I, I've been taking Lau, you know, fifth, sixth rounds in, in 15-team leagues and been stoked about it. So... Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna end up with Keston Hira. If I miss out on those top four guys, I'm usually waiting until the Max Muncy, Mustakis area, or even yeah. later than that. Like I have no problem going into the season with Colton Wong as my second baseman, with Cesar Hernandez as my second baseman, with Ryan McMahon as my second baseman. Where the depth at second base comes um, is in that group that you talked about having questions, and all the guys that are there. Uh, there, there's so much overlap there. Like you mentioned Mike Moustakis. Okay, if I don't get him, how about I wait literally 200 picks and just take Jonathan Scope? What is the difference? Line of context, that's it. And 
if Cincy's lineup plays like it did last year, I don't think it will, but if it does, Tigers lineup's improved, then all of a sudden they're closer in that respect too. Mm-hmm. Not that Tigers lineup is great. I'm not trying to overrate my favorite team. I'm just saying they're they're much more capable this year than they have been in what the last four or five years. Like they have major leaguers up and down the lineup with Grossman Scope, Miggy, Candelario, Wilson Ramos, Mazzara, Ronaldo Nunez, Jacoby Jones, Willie Castro. It's like it's, like, it's not good. They're not going to be winning a bunch of games, but it's not as embarrassing as it was last year, the year before, stuff like that. And so that's where the depth comes, is that once you kind of hit that part of guys that you're like, okay, they all have a bunch of these questions. That runs like 20 deep, though. Like, I don't even hate Tommy LaStella. And, you know, Brendan Rodgers is going to get an opportunity. Do I really want Brendan Rodgers as my starting second baseman? No, but... The, the the point is that there's a lot of depth there. Yeah, it, it's that it's that kind of I mean, like I have Listella. I have Listella as my 37th second baseman. Like that's how deep it is. Exactly, um, exactly. That's where I that's where I push back when people say it's not deep. You're right that at the superstar level and mm-hmm. and maybe even star level, sure, the questions start pretty quickly. But then once you hit that like 10 spot, 10 to 30 is like a glob almost yeah. like they're not that different for my, my 10 is Jeff McNeil. My 30 is Colton Wong. Mm-hmm. Like you can argue you get different things from them, but you can argue, uh, you know, Ryan McMahon's my 32. He could outperform Jeff McNeil. Yeah. Not my, batting my 10 average. is Kettle Marte. My 30 is Gavin Lux. Boom. And Gavin Lux getting some good pub in spring about about playing mm-hmm. playing that, time. That's how I moved him up to thirty. <laughs> yep, I moved so, him up as well. By the way, yeah, off that. I, name. I so anyway, in that Friends Fantasy Benefits uh, uh, main event qualifier last night. I, I, I love it. I'm I'm starting to scoop him in some leagues too uh, because they seem excited about him again. And you know he's a big time prospect. He hasn't done anything yet, but the price is right because as we talk about a lot on the show. The community, once the prospect doesn't pan out right away, they leave him for dead a bit. And the price, this is when you want to jump in. And I, I did a piece on, you know, thrifting with prospects and going and getting some guys that were premium guys that are now cheap. Gavin Lux, Nick Senzel, the aforementioned Brendan Rogers, Carter Keeboom, who you like, Luis Urias. A lot of opportunities out there to go get guys that were once the flavor of the month. Carter that Keeboom are now, had LASIK surgery this offseason. Dude, I, I mentioned it. I mentioned it, man. He's picked 357 now. Mm-hmm. Come on. So there's there's some opportunities there, uh, but anyway, I really thought that that thread was interesting there with the uh, with the Bobby Dahlbeck stuff, and and it gave us a topic for the pod. So uh, good good on good on y'all there. That was really interesting to me. Um, let's talk about a little bit of news and notes here. Nate Pearson will not be ready for opening day. We we talked about that. And we speculated that that would likely be the case with respect to that uh, groin. Uh, that groin injury and so that brings our boy back into focus mr ross stripling come on down hey man if you don't think i'm buying back in you're insane <laughs> i know 2020 was not very good but he is free dude nobody's in on ross stripling anymore and i'm here for it um so i will take my shot uh, you know he's like a reserve pick he's 485 he's nothing he's free and like i said i know 2020 was not very good uh, when he got traded to Toronto, I was like, oh, finally, you know, opportunity will open. Uh, he actually started fewer games with them. He was he was a full-time starter with the Dodgers last year, seven starts, seven uh, seven games played. And then he went five games, only two were starts with Toronto. None of it was particularly good. Um, the skills really abandoned and particularly his swinging strike rate dipping to a career low 7%. And that's what really did stripling in. I still have faith in him, though. I'm not going off 49 innings and, and getting rid of all the interest I had in him from the previous, you know, nearly 400 innings before that. So I will take my shot on Ross Stripling here because I think if he pitches well enough that even when Pearson comes back, he he might be able to hold his spot in somebody like a Steven Matz or like a Tanner Roark or even a Robbie Ray if they're not performing – they could get pushed out. So I think Stripling could hold it for a long time if he performs well. Are you still on? Our, are you still in on our boy? A little bit. I'll take some shots on him in in my fifteen team mixed leagues, largely because I like the way his early season schedule lines up. So he's going to be with Pearson, you know, not being ready to start the rotation. He's going to move up a spot in the rotation, and he lines up, I believe, to play uh go at texas which is a great place to pitch 
then home versus the Angels uh, lineup. That's good, but not like someone I'm, I'm fading. And then at Kansas City, another great place to pitch against a lineup I'm not very scared of. So yeah, I like that kind of first uh, three games. So I might take a shot here just early in the season, see what he has. Uh, I'm not afraid to rule him out there against really any of those guys. He was originally supposed to go Texas, New York, uh, Yankees, and then Kansas City. Uh, I would have been less enthused about that. but uh, And then, you know, kind of play it by ear after that. Um, you know, I mean, he's a guy that I think you you take a shot on at the end of your draft. And then if he looks good early on, you kind of continue to roll with him. Uh, and if he, you know, gets blown up in any one of those first three starts, you go, all right, well, I'll move on to the next guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, again, a lot of times when uh, when I was in on him, there was some hype when Stripling was with the Dodgers, so he cost a decent bit more. He's never been particularly expensive, but now at 485, I mean, like I said, it's free. I mean, it's, it's just if you want to take that shot, you go for it, and I will. I will indeed go for it. Um, another situation that's developing pretty much similar to this with uh, the Pearson injury opening the door for somebody is that Mike Soroka. Uh, almost certainly won't be ready for opening day, which I never expected him to be. Um, and that's why I'm a little bit concerned on his draft price, and we'll talk about that too. But that could open the door for Kyle Wright. Looks like he's mm-hmm. likely to be in for the Braves. So actually, let's start with Soroka. How are you approaching him for, for 2021? Because I can say for me, uh, I'm, I'm out. He's yeah. a guy I like quite a bit, but even at 178 average draft position, which is where he's been over the last couple of weeks, that's too rich for my blood when he's going around guys that I like a good bit more. My, my, my guy Frankie Montas is right there at, at 166. Aaron Savali is at 185. David Price, Jose Urquidy. I mean, you got some of my absolute favorites this year. There's no chance I'm getting Soroka. Yeah, he's going to tumble in my update on starting pitchers, which should be up either probably early next week my next update's going to be ready um and i think we'll have it on yeah we'll have the, it yeah on um, um, patreon early yeah we should try um, to have it by the end of the week perhaps and then the weekend for sure the weekend yeah um, the weekend but yeah i mean i i initially ranked him at 62 uh when i thought he could potentially be ready for the start of the season but considering mm-hmm. we're now looking at probably not going to be ready till May at the earliest and, and, and maybe even not then. We just have no idea. Uh, he's pretty much fallen outside of my top 125. Um, oh, wow. So you're really dropping him. Yeah, because well, I, I love Mike Soroka. I do. but uh, At least it wasn't an arm injury, though, it's right? Not, yeah, but, I mean, it's not like a foot injury is, you know, uh, isn't it's a... It's not great. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you still need that. It's your base. Yeah, and I just... He doesn't have the strikeout upside to to make up for the missed amount of time. So you can't, right. like, holding on to him is really difficult, even in leagues that have IL spots. So obviously NFBC doesn't have IL. You can't, He's, like, undraftable in NFBC right now. Um, but even I agree with that. Even but, in but... leagues where you have an IL spot, I mean, we're already seeing COVID issues with, with, guy, with certain guys. Not as bad yet as it was last year, but give it time. Um, and then we have no idea what the ramp up for pitchers, especially is going to be like in terms of how that affects people's health. And so I'm just, if a guy is injured, especially for a pitcher, especially is injured for more than like a week or two, like I'm okay with Pearson. I took Pearson in the last round of the FWFB, um, main event qualifier. Cause I expect him to be ready pretty That's quickly. Teamer, right? No, it's a 15 teamer. Oh, okay. Um, okay. But in the last round, you know. Yeah, you know, no, I, I, I'm fine with that. That's actually but a pretty good discount. What happens if, you know, Soroka, like, isn't ready by May? Now you've held him on your team, um, you know, through, like, the first half and gotten nothing out of him. And it's He's at not... the end of my top 100. I'm putting him with the Sale Severino Syndergaard group. But those, all those guys that you mentioned you're putting them with have much higher upsides. Like, they could be game changers in the second half if they're good to go. Yeah, Soroka's but, not going to be that. He's he's like a well, stabilizer, and he needs the volume to help you stabilize. He has, he has ratios that can be game-changing still. I, I don't want to I don't want to overstate. You get that ratio. And I love Soroka. Like, I was the biggest guy on Soroka, like, you know, coming into last year, uh, you know, before the injury. Um, because it's like, yeah, he he's... 
you know, Kyle Hendricks-esque in terms of how he helps stabilize your ratios. But you need the volume in it for him to have an impact on your overall stat line. And he, I just don't trust the volume this year with him. I'll buy back in next year. When he's going outside the top 200 picks next year because he disappoints everybody this year, I'll be right back in and I'll be, you know, I'll, I'll jump back into the conductor seat of that bandwagon. But for this year, this year only, he's not going to end up on any of my teams. Yeah, I'm definitely not paying this price. I think even with a discount, I'd be, I'd be backing up. By the way, I think I said um, episode 901. It's 902. It is 902. I know it's a little late to fix that, but just, just so we're clear. I know it's 902. I use it from run rundown for, for, no, Sunday, I know, but so. I, I even wrote 902 on, like, I, I checked to make sure that you had done a Sunday episode and wrote 902, and then I still said 901. So I'm a goof. I'm an absolute goof. Uh, what anyway? So it opens the door for Kyle Wright, mm-hmm. premium prospect. You know, he and Ian Anderson both came up uh, as they were coming through. Both had, you know, high pop prospect pedigree. Anderson certainly bypassed him uh, even before the arrival, by the way. And, and then, of course, with his performance last year, you know, put himself on another level. Kyle Wright, meanwhile, has waned a bit. In fact, his last uh, his last projection, uh, his last scouting report for us was a 40 plus future value, based a lot on the command or lack thereof. Do you see Kyle Wright kind of turning things around and and you know fulfilling some of that uh, some of that prospect hype that he has, or is he just more of a fifth sixth guy? I think he definitely has the potential to fulfill. I don't know if it's necessarily going to happen this year i mean it's it's he's had a homer problem in the majors and that's not Big a walk good, issue too yeah and that's so not a good part multi homers yeah it's not a good part to have a homer issue that's for sure not a good division to have a homer issue i i do i do like the raw skills um and I like the early season schedule, and this is one of the things I'm really looking at, you know, and shout out to Nick Pollock and, and his guys over yeah. at Pitcher List because they've got a little tool over there this year that has, like, you know, the expected schedule for every starting rotation. Yeah, he's been working hard on that. Uh, he's so been definitely. playing a lot, of the, uh, a lot of the early schedules there with his last few picks, which yeah. is a great way to do it. We've talked about this before on the show in past years about how once you get to a certain point in the draft, you, you can focus more narrowly on your players in terms of time frame. Yeah. Like your 20th pick, you should probably not be worried about somebody making it all six months on your team. Yeah. So try to get a great month out of them and then go from there. If they're good, they can stick, mm-hmm. but you start to map things a little differently. Yeah. Yeah. And so Wright has, you know, first start is going to be against Washington. Then uh, he gets Miami then at Chicago uh, against the Cubs, and then home versus Arizona. So that's a pretty decent early start. I'm very cautious about uh, taking him. Like, I think he's more of a draft and old kind of guy or NL only. Um, I don't know that I want to roster him in a 15-team league, especially because I think I'd rather take gambles on guys in the muddled uh, closer situations. Um, and hope to maybe pop a, you know, a surprise closer or something like that, or uh, get a long man and hope that uh, you know he either makes his way into the rotation eventually, or I get some sneaky wins with uh, you know the the innings pitched being kind of held down by some major league team. So I'm probably not going to end up with Wright, but I haven't given up on him either. Okay, I, th- I think that's uh, I think that's a fair way to put it. Uh, with Cal Wright, you know, like I said, he got bypassed by by Ian Anderson by quite a bit there, uh, but there's still some there's still some prospect type or not I mean not prospect type he's, he's ex- exceeded his expectations or his uh, rookie limits there, but there is still some interest in the 25 year old righty uh, to see if he can bring those skills together. I just worry about you mentioned the home run rate paired with the walk rate that's deadly. So unless they start to see some control really come through and and Wright be able to put his pitches where he wants. I'm not really going to get in there. Last bit of news before we go into the NL East closers. Zach Britton getting an MRI on his bulky elbow, which uh, you know is a little bit of a bummer. It's not massive fantasy news because that job is rolled as Chapman's. But in an article that, again, will be up by the time you listen to this, uh, I mentioned in the closer tiers that 
there's kind of just this is very niche but uh you maybe could have milked a save or two mm-hmm. out of out of britain because chapman's going to be suspended for the first couple games mm-hmm. and i wondered if maybe the you know maybe it's two games that he's suspended for maybe they just give the whole toronto series to uh to britain there maybe he gets two saves you take him with one of your last picks because people aren't really dying to pick him and then all of a sudden you you just you snaked a few saves and you can cut him that sunday because um the way things work in most leagues that's going to be the first pickup period for the first full week Yep. So it, it, like I said, it's it's a pretty niche play, and now it's in danger. But I thought that that could be something that uh, was at least worth pointing out for those that really want to take that extra step to extract every potential save. But now with an MRI on his elbow, that's a bit in doubt. What do you think about this situation here? Yeah, I mean, this is something that I had mentioned previously that I was drafting Britain late in draft just to try to sneak a a cheap save or two at the beginning of the season. So. Uh, I'm a bit bummed. I took him yesterday in my TGFBI draft, um, and uh, yeah, now I'm I'm not gonna have him. So that's that's uh, uh, that's quite a bit of a bummer. I mean, hopefully he's fine, but yeah, this if is it continues never... on that track. Then Chad Green becomes the guy to do that with, right? Or Darren O'Day. I'd say Chad Green. Doesn't O'Day have more quote unquote closer experience? I don't think that matters because I think a he's because not closer experience with them. Chad Green's somebody that they've had you know in high leverage for for a while. I think in that and again we're talking a weekend. Mm-hmm. I think I think Chad Green would get the opportunity personally. Okay. Plus um, Darren O'Day, you know, is is can be pretty platoon heavy at times. Yeah. Although although to counter myself here, that's the right team to have a righty for. Mm-hmm. So maybe you're right. Maybe maybe because of the matchups there, it could end up being a ninth inning with Bobachet, Marcus Simeon, Teoscar coming up. That's righty, righty, righty. Yeah, they have uh, no Chad Green's righty too, <laughs> but yeah, I know they, Kevin Vigil is like the, and Rowdy Teles are the only two. Uh, there's a lot of scenarios where it could be that, and like I said, Chad Green is a righty as well. But Darren O'Day absolutely smothers right-handers. So okay, that's a good call out. That's that's at least worth noting. Bottom line is, uh, you're really trying to milk a save or two anyway, so don't go too crazy trying to figure this out, right? Keep an eye on Britain and hopefully he's just healthy because then he'll, he's easily the guy. But otherwise, I think it is kind of a toss-up at that point. Yeah. Let's let's stay on the closers and continue our tour around the league talking about the closers in the NL East now. And let's start with the aforementioned Atlanta there. We're talking about their starter situations. Let's get into their closer situation. And it's wide open. You and I discussed it on the First Pitch Florida uh, conference this past weekend with Baseball HQ, and we were talking about Will Smith versus uh, Rich Rodriguez, And but now we're focusing narrowly on Atlanta itself. Will Smith versus Chris Martin looks like the, uh, looks like the battle here. They have not named either as the guy, and they could easily play matchups because they have a lefty-righty, and one of the unique things about Atlanta is they have so many lefties in their bullpen that they do not have to worry about saving Smith, you know, for the big Juan Soto at bat in the seventh inning. They can let Tyler Matzik do it. They can let Sean Newcomb handle it. They can let uh, Grant Dayton. I think there's one more that I'm even forgetting. AJ Minter. AJ Minter. Yeah. They've got guys, so they do not have to worry about doing that. How do you see this scenario playing out there? Are you drafting either Smith or Martin? Are you drafting both? Are you avoiding it altogether? Do you think uh, Jacob Webb comes out in the – okay, that last one was a joke. But what, what, do you, what do you think plays out here with this closer situation? Because they have two capable guys, and if one, if one was the guy, that would be awesome. But I just don't know that that's going to be the case. Yeah, in, I have them both 25 and 26 in my relief pitcher rankings. And my little notes is, I don't know who closes in Atlanta. Um, <laughs> and so give me the guy who's going later, right? Uh, and yeah. that's Chris Martin. He's going pick 321. Uh, and so I think he's got, I think he is, he's definitely been better, uh, you know, more recently. Um, and I do think that he has the skills to be the closer. He's the right hander. If they do decide they don't want a lefty uh, closing out, though, I, like you said, I don't think that's as big of an issue in Atlanta as it may be somewhere else. Uh, I think you can actually make the opposite. Uh, <laughs> argument that Chris Martin's the only high leverage righty that they have. Yeah, um, exactly. So Maybe Jacob Webb becomes key 
uh, his success becomes key to them trusting Martin to go be uh, in the closer there. Otherwise, yeah, they need to save they need to save Martin for those big right-handed situations in the innings leading up to ninth to the ninth. Yeah. So yeah, I've been trying to snag Martin wherever I can towards you know pick three hundred. Uh, you know, I got him in TGFBI. Didn't get him in the Friends of Fantasy Benefits uh, uh, MEQ last night. But, yeah, I'll try to get him anywhere I can and, and hope that in those first three games before that first fat period of the season that there's some sort of clarity. If he ends up with a save, I keep him. If he doesn't, then I make the decision on whether or not I want to keep him. So, yeah, But I'm not I, drafting I, Will Smith. I, I, but I feel like if me. you do draft Will Smith... You have to then go get Martin. Yes, you should go for both. And if you believe in Atlanta big time and you think they're just going to pile up a ton of wins, just get both and get the Atlanta saves there. Um, if you're going to do that, let's put yourself in a mindset of where you want to do that. Would you want to do it with like having Liam Hendricks as well so that you have the front line, you know, one of the front line studs? So we'll say one of our top seven or so that, that you and I have talked about being kind of the locked-ins, or would you just go all-spec, do those two, and, you know, Rafael Montero, or or the aforementioned Rich Rodriguez, or Joaquin Soria? Like, how are you playing that? Do you, because you want to be careful not to have too much draft capital spent on, like, four different relievers, because then who are you even starting? You can't start all four. So how do you play that if you are going to draft a, a combo? Let's talk about it even on the high end, too, because if you go Hayter-Williams... Josh Hader, Devin Williams, that's a lot of draft capital too. Mm-hmm. If you take these two guys from one team, how do you play it with the rest of your saves? Or do you just say, those are my 40 saves and I'm out? I want to get one of those top 10 guys, you know, okay. um, you know, whether it's Brad Hand or, uh, or you know, I mean, I, I love Liam Hendricks. I have no problem taking Liam Hendricks in the fourth or fifth round, um, you know, a Chapman in the in the fifth, sixth round. Um mm-hmm. You know, Rosenthal, I know he, he got injured or he's, he's dealing with a, a groin issue himself, but, you know, I think he's going to be fine. So no problem taking him seventh, eighth round. Uh, but I I want to get one of those locked in guys. So that way I can take the gamble on the Archie Bradley and the Hector Neris or on guys like um, Anthony Bass and Jimmy Garcia, um, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah, if. If I'm gonna take one of these guys that don't have like a what I feel is a you know concrete lockdown role, I definitely want to grab the other one. And I think one of the mistakes I've made this draft season is I've drafted a lot of Archie Bradley, and I've not drafted a lot of Hector Neris. Um, yeah, and I, I understand your desire to kind of will Bradley into that gig, but I just don't know that it's locked in yet. Yeah. I think Neris is somebody you know they've they've had success with in the past. His, he has 70 saves since 2017. You know, that's like top 15 in baseball. Um, and Bradley, you know, he's never really been the full-on guy. This could be his first opportunity to to be a locked-in guy and get 30-plus saves. But Neris is just lingering there that I, I, I would want both, too. Um, and because it's a, you know, it's a solid team. I'm not huge on Philly, but they're a solid club. You feel like you're drafting 35 saves if you get if you get that duel. Of course, Brandon Kinsler comes in the mix too, just to muddy it up a little more. Though I do think this, that they will commit to one of Bradley or Nary. This has the feeling of that. I think it was a 2017 or 2018 Washington National situation where everybody was like, "Ooh, it's Blake Trinan. Ooh, no, it's Sean Kelly. Ooh, no, it's Cody Glover." And everybody had their guy, and then yep. they traded for Sean Doolittle and screwed everyone. <laughs> Like, so those yep. people that like invested like in entire bullpens, and this is the problem with that strategy is someone you never heard of could end up just being the guy, you know, or someone you didn't expect because they were traded into the situation. And then you invested in an entire bullpen and still didn't get the guy. They could finally realize that, uh, you know, Vince Velasquez just doesn't have it as a starter. Yeah. And then he becomes a premium closer. You know, I still I still have hope that he could do that if he if he went to the bullpen. Uh, but they're gonna they're gonna go with the starting role with him for one more year. You know, so. or I mean, what if it's Tony Watson or Jose Alvarado, yeah. like the yeah. like guys who've shown they could close you know, on other teams, like and so yeah, I, I do think Archie Bradley gets the shot because they gave him the money. Um, but I it could be any of those guys, and so like I I just released my starting pitcher ranks I think today, and like I'm already like oh. 
and this is why I hate doing starting pitch. Really sorry, sorry, reliever pitch ranks. Yeah. Um, in this By the way, way again, unplanned that we're doing it on the same day. Yeah, and I did the ADP market report yesterday um, for, for that. amazing. Uh, but this is why I hate doing reliever ranks because it's an so ad. Like, I could, I put Archie Bradley at 11. I could easily drop him to 20. 25. Like, I mean. yeah, right. Like, like I'm looking at it now. It, it posted five hours ago, and I'm looking at it now like, uh You put... Kimbrel ninth, you psychopath. Because he was fantastic, and there's no competition right now. No, he wasn't. He, look at his numbers after the first like four outings. I did, and they're not that good. I I, I know this narrative. I don't. Uh, I mean, <sighs> he didn't. He gave up two more runs the rest of the way. I I don't know, man. I'm just like. Yeah. Why? Why did the first four outings not count? I'm not saying it didn't count. I'm just like it's you like, know it, what, like it's a pretty small sample. The like twelve and two thirds. Hey, it, twenty six strikeouts in forty nine batters face. That's fifty three percent strikeout. Like that is dope. Seven walks. I don't know, man. I just ugh, I'm so out on him still. I just I can't I can't I can't get excited about Craig Kim. I'm totally fine if you can't. But I mean, like he's. I feel like he. You know, with that contract. Until they trade him, um, he's the guy. Now, again, this is another situation. He's not a top I mean, 10 guy, though. But that's the thing. After the first eight, none of them are top 10 guys. There is no top 10 guys after the first eight. Like, like I wish I could rank it one through eight and then rank it 25 through 70. <laughs> But it yeah, doesn't no, I, work I that you. way. Like I just, but there are just so this many. This is the other, problem like, with reliever ranks. This is why I want one of those top eight guys. Um, I'd I mean, I guess deal you can with the Nick Anderson, James Karinchak headaches than touch Craig Kimbrell. Uh, and if that's the way you want to roll, I have no problem with that. I just, you know, specifically I'm, Nick Anderson, who goes right by Craig Kimbrell. I yeah, I I want to get the guy who's getting saves. And as much as I love Nick Anderson's skills. When you draft a guy like Nick Anderson, you still have to plan for saves. Uh, you're going to have to still plan for saves with Craig Kimbrell. Maybe. You know, I, mean, I haven't ended up with Kimbrell. He only had two in 2020, by the way. Yeah, I know. So it's not like he just overtook that job, even in that tiny sample where he was good. Um, yeah. No. It, this is, I mean, this is the nightmare of this. Last year, I did not rank relievers on the site, and I got so it's many pain people this year who've asked me, "Hey, where are your reliever ranks?" That I went, "All right, all right, I'll do them." And I like, I don't even want to look at the article. I just did tears. You'll you'll see mine go up later this afternoon, and I, I did a little bit differently. Like I said, those six thousand words on relievers was uh, was a lot. Um, well, okay, let's continue on here. We kind of already talked about Philly there. Uh, with the jump off because they have that Archie Bradley, Hector Neris, similar situation to Will Smith, Chris Martin. You let's go in Miami, go a little bit deeper there. You talked about Anthony Bass um, and and Yimmy Garcia. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people have him as the as the second guy. I actually I don't buy that. I, I, I Yimmy Garcia gives up far too many home runs to be a closer. So I think if Anthony Bass doesn't work out, they're going somewhere else. And whether it's um, whether it's Dylan Floro or or somebody else like a pro, like a younger prospect type, I think that's where it could go. Like if, if Bass doesn't work out and Yimmy – okay, what I will say is if Yimmy does not give up homers the way he did last year, he literally didn't give, a, give up a single homer. But that was after being over two homers per nine for the two previous years. Uh, so I don't buy it at all. But if he somehow manages to be – a home run suppressor, then he can probably get the job. I don't buy it, so I'm looking at like Floro or John Curtis, a veteran, or start looking at guys like uh, Zach Pop, Jorge Guzman, Jordan Holloway, and then I and then I got a little special something in there for in in the piece that I'm going to leave for people about uh, an unexpected name who could be, who could be the guy uh, if it doesn't work out. Keep an eye on that. But but I will say that one's more of kind of like uh, an eye catcher more than something that I totally, totally see. I will say that uh, Jorge Guzman's kind of my dark horse there. But let's talk about Bass because he has the job. 
and basically he replaces Kinsler, who he's been a little bit better than. He's kind of like a Kinsler plus, mm-hmm. and Kinsler was perfectly capable for them. So I think Bass can be perfectly capable. Yes, he is a bit old, uh, and he is a journeyman. He's going to be on his fifth team in as many years, but he's been throwing 95 now for the last couple seasons. Nothing fancy with the strikeout or walk rate, but they're capable. He's been sub six hits per nine the last two years, though. That's what's really transformed is he's become a lot more difficult to hit. And that's what's helped him be kind of like a mid threes ERA guy with a good whip. And I think I think he'll just hold the job, to be honest. So even all the speculation on the other guys there is is kind of fodder for for Mm -hmm. maybe if Bass gets traded, if they if they tank and they're not very good, they will trade a 33 year old Anthony Bass. Um but what what are you doing there? Is is he a guy that you like as a as a C three as your as your third closer? Yeah, I love him. Um and I'm totally actually fine with him as my C two if I'm kind of pushing down saves uh or, or closers and, and focusing other places, which a lot of people are doing this year. And so yes. uh I yeah, absolutely love him. I think as long as he's healthy and I think health is the big risk. Um I guess trade For is sure. the big risk at, at the end of the season. But like you mentioned at that first pitch Florida forum, like just because he gets traded doesn't mean he's not gonna get traded to be a closer somewhere else. So Exactly. I think we assume that too much, right? Well he's gonna get traded. Okay. Well what if uh what if a contending um you know I'm trying to think of a team that's contending that could be sketchy with their closer. You know, what 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 if Rysel doesn't work out, but that the Angels are kicking butt yeah. and they need a closer? Well, you know, what something, if something like that. you know, Britain is done and Chapman, you know, something happens to Chapman. Like, exactly. Yeah. He's already been suspended. It's funny you say that. I almost said the Yankees. I, yeah. I literally almost said the Yankees. And maybe they wouldn't get past, but the the point is guys can be traded into another closer's yeah. role. So you don't have to necessarily be scared that if they're traded, they won't close. Uh, but Bass, you know, he's been really good. He's a ground ball machine. And that's why he doesn't need a gaudy strikeout rate. But he has a nice little 11% swing strike rate. So he's, he's missing enough bats. Uh, the 9% walk rate doesn't terrify me. You know, it's all kind of solid. And then I, what I really love is he's been at a one whip the last two years. And that's like 70 innings worth. Yeah, and I mean, he doesn't really give up home runs. So, like, it's like, you know, the, the walk rate has been, you know, a little bit increased over the last two seasons, but he keeps that walk rate under a homer per nine. So, or sorry, that home run rate under a homer per nine. So, I, I like Bass. I think he is a super unsexy, but fairly safe option. Uh, I do think Yimmy is the handcuff, but I think you can make the argument for, like, Curtis or, or other guys. But ultimately, I think Bass has this role um, as long as he is healthy. Uh, and so, you know, they gave him a two-year deal with a club option for 2023. So, you know, a money-conscious team like the Marlins are going to put a lot of emphasis on that in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think that Bass is the guy. I think he's a very safe closer three or potentially even closer two if you're okay with guys like Hunter Harvey later. Yes. Uh, and so we got a little bit of a hard out here. So the last two are going to have to be a little bit quicker on. But the beauty of it is, is that they're both set situations yeah. right now. Um, so I don't know that we need to go too crazy deep. Like Edwin Diaz, you talk about a guy with you did the Craig Kimbrell thing where you said, hey, once he settled down after those first four outings, he was great. Uh, Edwin Diaz, I think even has a he's a better case of that, where once you get past those first three outings, um, he was amazing. He was as as good as Edwin Diaz has ever looked in a sample of that size. And so I think people are still kind of remembering 2019 and the fact that like his first or second outing was a blown save home uh, due to a home run. And I think people are kind of pretending he sucks. Not everybody. I don't want to overstate it, but there's a contingent of the fantasy community that still thinks Edwin Diaz is like on shaky ground. And I just don't see it. I think he's locked in. He's going to have a pretty substantial leash. Uh, and if he pitches like he did in 20 or 18, and 19 is the clear outlier at this point, he's going to be the guy. Do we do we agree there? Or are you are you like drafting Trevor May? I'm drafting Trevor May, but not because I think that Diaz is on shaky ground. Um, okay, it's mostly because I love Trevor May. He was absolutely amazing last year, and no one noticed. Um, and they gave him a good contract. So if something were to happen to Diaz and so we've seen it happen to Diaz before. It happen, It can't happen to any closer, right? So it can't. It can't. Um, but but I I really like him. I think he's pretty I do stable. Too. Yeah. I you know with the Rosenthal news, uh, I'm probably going to move Rosenthal back down uh, a few spots, and Diaz goes back to my number four guy. Uh, so yeah, I, I think he's probably one of the safer guys going earlier. 
um, and with a ton of upside, you're going to get a lot of strikeouts. So I uh, love Diaz. And then, and then let's close with our boy Bradwick Hand because uh, you know, as much as I was actually interested in Tanner Rainey as the next closer there before they got Hand. I mean, that that goes by the wayside. I think Hand is another one that the community is kind of panicking over for no real reason. Yes, the, the velo went down again, but he's never been a premium velo guy anyway. And he put up the best uh, best walk rate of his career and a very healthy 34% strikeout rate. I think he's the guy. I'm not too concerned about him. And, you know, if if he flops, sure, we go out and get Rainey, but I'm not even drafting Rainey. I take Brad Hand as a stud. Yeah, I, I, I took Brad Hand in two leagues recently. One was a tag team league, and then one was last night in the uh, – Friends of Fantasy Benefits, MEQ. I feel like he's super safe, and one of the reasons I feel like he's super safe is because Davey Martinez stuck with uh, Hudson yep. last year in spite of the fact he was awful. They just He, he likes to have the button to yeah, push. He has his guy. He doesn't want to think about it. The ninth inning comes up. It's three runs or less, uh, and he throws out his guy. And I think Brad Hand yep. is that guy. So uh, I think call. even if he struggles at times, He's gonna. Keep, he's got to be extremely volatile and atrocious for him to lose that role. I think. Bingo, and that's gonna do it for the episode. Sorry for the uh, the hurried end there, Justin. I kind of lost track of time, and I got something here in just two minutes. So, uh, great talking with you. I'll be back with you on Thursday. Take it easy.